Hey everybody, we're back with another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be talking about what's going on with all these statues coming down. Yeah, we're going to look at the sources and the reasons behind this modern iconoclasm. We're going to look at some of the historical precedents behind cultures tearing down statues. And we're going to try to make sense of it uh, so what a Catholic can think about what's going on right now. And a lot of this is senseless. So to try to make sense of what we're experiencing as a people will be helpful in relationship to settling our hearts before God and trying to find a path forward to greater unity and solidarity. All right, good to be back with you guys. Uh, definitely a, a topic I think that's on everybody's mind, at least in, in my family and my friends, uh, coworkers, things like that. And you know, like you were saying, Father Rich is like working through this. Like, I think it's a good thing to to kind of hash through, you know, and look at uh, without you know the the hyper uh, you know sensitive media and things like that drawing all the worst out and just shoving it in your face every day. It's a good thing to kind of just step back and take a look at what's going on and, and, and start uncovering certain things for ourselves and our peace. Because we can be constructive in these times and it really calls on men and women of goodwill that are seeking justice and equity to find constructive ways that we can actually build some type of solidarity moving forward. And I completely agree with you, Sheila. So many of my conversations with family members as well as people related to the show. They've been messaging me on Instagram and Facebook, and I know Shield's been receiving a lot of requests as well. It's important to talk about these things. When, it's, when it goes unsaid and when we can't really have a conversation, not that we're speaking from any type of absolute authority or, or some type of mindset of we know exactly what's going on. I don't think you know, most of us know exactly what's going on and what's motivating these things and who's funding all of this stuff. We're, we're uncovering some of that, but it's important to talk about because if we can see powers that are at work dividing us, we can clearly, it's the same way that we would approach this spiritually, truly renounce those powers and to embrace the power of God, which always unites and never divides. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're not going to have all the perspectives. We can only have the perspective that we have as who we are. And a lot of what's going on is about differing perspectives, Right. Uh, a lot of people in our country feel marginalized or feel powerless or feel oppressed. And a lot of this is the, I guess, the expression of that. So even in my own mind, I think a lot of times I could certainly understand uh, an African American community wanting to take down a statue of a civil war general. That, I, can, I can make sense of that. Now, I'm never for wanton destruction because I think dialogue and thought and examination are a much better way to get to the problem but and also knowledge of history because if we do have a knowledge of history we will not repeat it as so many great historians theologians philosophers have stated throughout the years we need to be able to grasp our history in order to build on it so we do not let the evils of the past represent themselves in the present yeah, you know, and, and this has happened several times before you know many like times. i mean we're talking we're t we're talking you know, all the way dating back to, you know, Vikings invading and, and, and tearing up all that is sort of memorializes a, a culture, right? So through the libraries, through the synagogues, the churches, what have you, um, this is a very common thing for unrest to have this on their sites, a complete upheaval. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the, 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 the people who are participating in this personally, subjectively, I feel like there, there are other agendas that are counterproductive to the point where the vast majority of people disagree, regardless of how many people are on TV yelling and screaming. Right? I saw, on a, I saw an interview hours. with Robert Johnson. He's the guy who founded uh, BET, right? He's a yeah. black billionaire. He used to own the um, Charlotte Bobcats. They were named after him. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's looking at videos. He's watching white people staring, tearing down statues because they think they're being <clears throat> allies to the African-American community. And he's like, we're laughing at you because that's not what we want. What we want is investment in our neighborhoods. We want 
um, safety. We want peace. We want to not be profiled or judged based on the color of our skin, but the content mm-hmm. of our character and not, and, and you think that you're being an ally and it's like, <clears throat> a lot of times I, I really think that people who are, think they're trying to help are actually making it worse for the people they're trying to help. And a lot of that is going on right now. And, and Ryan, you said something really important. And, and I think it was following up with what you said, Father Rich, is that, well, if we know history, we won't repeat it. I would say I'm a fairly good armchair historian. And history says we are going to repeat this time and time again. Like you were saying yeah. with the Vikings. But look back at the Egyptians, man. There's so much that we don't know about the history of Egypt because it was a custom when a new pharaoh would come in that didn't agree with the previous pharaoh or maybe five pharaohs back he would remove his cartouche from all the 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 annals of the kings um or like look at babylon when they took over um jerusalem they carried away the custom back then was to carry away that culture's god so if uh, the achaemenids overtook the assyrians they would take their god marduk and put him wherever when yeah. the Babylonians take Smash over it. Jerusalem, they take the Ark of the Covenant. And symbols are very powerful. And one side seeking to destroy another, that's usually a very powerful public way to make a massive statement on one segment of a society against yeah. another. And it's so important to see that that's in the scriptures. You know, historically, it's it's contained in the scriptures. So that if the scriptures are the inspired word of God... I believe wholeheartedly that God desires to speak a word into our hearts to give us hope and to give us the absolute passion and zeal to continue to build communion with one another. And I can't help but look at the scriptures that we've had in the church over the past several weeks. I mean, they've been absolutely fascinating. And I've been sharing it with my community and asking them, like, we should be praying through these scriptures and appropriating that message to our time so that we can get a sense that, hey, God is with us, even despite everything that we're facing. That's the great news. And what is good news if it's not in the context of all of this terrible stuff going on? So God is still communicating to us as children of God. We had the 12th Sunday in ordinary time that started out with Jeremiah saying, I hear whisperings of many terror on every side. Denounce, let us denounce him. Those who are my friends are on watch for any misstep of mine. Perhaps he will be trapped. Then we will prevail and take our vengeance on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty champion. My persecutors will stumble. They will not triumph. I have to to say that, you know, that scripture speaks to me. And then just this past, you know, Tuesday and the 23rd of, of June, we hear from the book of Kings. And this is preceding the Babylonian exile. And we hear these intentions of the destruction of of all of these different cultural societies, all of these different statues and things like that. So this is, again, like, Sheila, you're saying, bro, I mean, it's repeating once again. And we could see it as close as we want in, in respect to Nazism and the Uberman and the, the sense of the philosophy that was embraced by Hitler and then seeking to erase history so that he could establish his own history in favor of the Uberman. So, I mean, all of this is very, very sensitive, and we need to open up our eyes and look more closely at who is behind and motivating what's happening today. Why are we being divided? And I can't help but think of, uh, you know, chaos as a ladder for political movements and the elite to establish themselves to to offer greater control. Right. Absolutely. I I would say, like, you're a public figure, uh, Father. I'm just a regular guy in a neighborhood and I've got black friends. I grew up uh, with black friends. You know, we both played basketball. We both played football. Uh, Always looked at those guys. You can't enter into a a game without being a brother first. You know I mean? Like teams just don't work like that. Um, And, and so I've, I've got a lot of people in my life historically that I've known. Um, When my son was ill, I had coach Rogers call me and Dexter called me first two guys who called me were black, right? And we talked on the phone as friends, right? And caught back Do up. Do you even consider them as, as black guys or no, just I don't. friends? No, family, I don't. Man. I mean, I don't. anybody that you go to war with on a, on a basketball court or a football yeah. field or that you spend time war? with in your neighborhood, I mean, like, they're family. You know, they're yeah, family. But, and you cry when, when they're crying or they cry with you. Right. And it's family. It's heart. 
Right. The, the point I'm trying to make with that is, is the fact that you're saying like, where is this coming from? Because my black friends, 90% of them, okay, are just like, I, this is crazy. Like this, this is embarrassing to me, you know? Yes, police brutality exists on blacks, on whites, on everybody. George Floyd should have never died. That guy did something that was horrible and it was shown to millions of people. And the anger police officer is, did something horrible. Right. Horrible. And the anger and the anger that mm -hmm. I felt when he did that towards that guy, I felt angry. And so I look at it like, and then I see a lot of angry people around me and they're, ang they're not angry because, you know, of the injustices and things like that. I think there are all these people don't want injustice, you know, whether it's black or Asian or whatever. I just think it's the way that it's being brought out and utilized for some sort of gain. And I, I don't know what it is. I'm not, you know, Look, but, but I, I will say this, if you're experiencing fear or anger in your heart, it's not from God. Right. I mean, like not if Amen it's, if it's, if it mm -hmm. circulates over and over again, it's just shut it, shut it down. Don't watch TV or don't look at Facebook or whatever. Right. If you're experiencing anger and fear in your heart and it keeps coming back and it keeps around, this is what the evil one wants. He wants to divide you from the peace that, you know, of Christ controlling your heart. Does that look, mean that you can't, you can't be mad or upset about something? No, but, but spiritually we got to be looking out for this. You know, you know a lot of the times I, I really do consider that division has been monetized, right? There's a lot yeah. more money in news articles being clicked. Look, I, we work in marketing. I know that if you have a more tantalizing headline, people are going to click it and you will get set more sales or more conversions, whatever it is. And what's going to get more people to click, uh, you know, black lives movement leader asked for all statues of Jesus to be torn down. That's going to get a million clicks. That's going to get so much clicks because it's tantalizing. It's dividing people. It's like, you're coming after my stuff uh, or, or people are coming after you. It's, it's been weaponized. Division has been weaponized. Monetized. Um, and monetized, but, monetized. but it's, it's, it's an aggression towards the decency of people and brothers. You know, right. I have more in common with, a, you know, an African-American guy from Cleveland than I do a Slovenian guy from Slovenia. I have more in and you know, that's my heritage, but I have more in common with that guy. But according to the news, I shouldn't, and the, he shouldn't, we shouldn't be brothers. Yeah. It's, it's all crazy, man. It's, it's the weaponization of the monetization of division. There's huge, infrastructures built around this whole companies where their whole life and their whole reason to exist is to fight issues of division. But what happens when you don't have anything to fight? Well, you got to create it. You got to make sure that it's there. Otherwise, what do you exist for? You know, yeah, status it, quo, status quo, everything's okay. No bad place to be. <laughs> that, yeah. It's not good for business. <laughs> it's business, not good for business. It's not. And that, that's a tragedy yeah. because that is not the way God created us. And yeah, out of all of this frustration, there is legitimate frustration oh, yeah. and legitimate reasons that the African-American community um, yeah. feel, right? Whether it's police brutality, whether it's economic injustice. I mean, these are some real things that are, cannot be dismissed. Mm -hmm. And statues being torn down are, are symptomatic of that, even if it's a portion of, that, uh, of, that, of those people doing it. It's the there's still times where it's probably legitimate. Like I said, tearing down a statue of Jefferson Davis. Why is there a statue of Jefferson Davis in the United States of America? We fought a war against the country that he split away from our own and, and our people died in it. Now, does that mean Jefferson Davis is completely irredeemable as a person? I don't know. I didn't meet him. It was 150 years ago. Why, you know, that would be like having a statue of of Hitler. It doesn't make sense. This is the people we defeated in the war and we're memorializing it. Yeah, so a statue like that coming down, I'm fine with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was in, uh, when I was a kid, my mom went to a segregated high school. My dad was from up North. Okay. He's from New York. So he came to Mississippi state to play basketball. And he was, I mean, these guys were so racist. They just, because he was from up North, he was treated differently. My mom remembers the two different bathrooms and all, and all that kind of stuff. And my dad coached at Nathan Forrest High School. So this guy, I guess, did, among other things, and started the KKK or was the first grand guy or whatever. So I asked my dad, I said, Dad, if the KKK is wrong, why did they name a school after him? And my dad's like, I don't know. 
that's weird. They later changed the name of that school. But I, I always thought it was weird, like, who is coming up with these names for schools? So I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. It's like a, a lot of this who stuff. Have op- obviously, people who supported what that guy stood for, right. Nathan Forrest, right? Yeah. They're yeah. like, and they're, but so and, like and, I said, and if, I, if I could say too, you know, like the, the generation, and it's, it, this is also down to like psychology and counseling too. How many times people go through a trauma early in their life? whether they're in their adolescence, teenage years, you know, they go through a terrible trauma that doesn't present itself and come to the surface until 30 years later or 40 right. years later. And it, and it really becomes a major, major issue. In the same fashion, I mean, we have so many different uh, ideologies that was, you know, pre-Civil War in the South. And, you know, Ryan and I, we're both from, you know, up North, heritage wise, family wise, bloodline wise, but we also grew up in the South. So, you know, there's, there's deep ties to a philosophy and a heritage that's embedded in the culture as a form of history. But I think a lot of the, the historical hurt, they, you know, go back even to the sixties or the fifties, they would have never been able to take down these statues in a productive way. You know, but now like the trauma is coming to the surface through multiple generations to the present generation. And I think there's there's a good to that. Like, let's look at, you know, these, you know, they don't need to be up. Our ideologies are shifting and we're becoming one. And we've made so much progress since the 50s and 60s. You know, still more to go, but we still have more to go. But we've got to look at the progress that we've that we've made. I mean, even even just in, in the in the experience that Ryan and I have. And I know you've had the same experience in your background too, Sheil. Look how well, I grew up, I grew up in Ohio and then I lived in Augusta, Georgia for a few years growing up. And they're like, well, you're a Lincoln lover and a Yankee. I'm sure. You love black people. I mean, I was in first and second yeah. grade. I'm like, I don't oh, know. Just why, being why Catholic, I, you know, just, yeah. Just being Catholic in the Bible belt was like, golly, these it was a weird are... experience as a kid. And it, it, it formed me definitely. Cause I'm like, there's, you know, yeah. there's some things here that weren't weird formal from where I was home, you know? Look at Father yeah. Leon, and I know you have a lot of love for Father Leon, God rest his soul, but oh, look at how he confronted the KKK, and they were burning yeah. crosses in front of the rectory, and he was going out and confronting all of these people, you know, dressed yeah. in sheets and covering their faces, and he was, he was crying out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the Sisters of St. Joseph in St. Augustine, educating the first black kids in the history of our country, and in St. Augustine, that was remotely like a very, very racist place at the oh, time. Yeah. You know, and they were, they had plots to kill Martin Luther King Jr. and all these different things. But, you know, when you see the presence of truth and what Jesus is trying to accomplish, and that's what's so heartbreaking, what Jesus is accomplishing is the evangelization of all nations. That's exactly what he said to the apostles, right? Go out to every nation and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. Jesus desires all nations to come to one heart and to, to embrace one another in that beautiful mystical nature of his body. As we share at the banquet of his body and blood, we are drawn into the bloodline of Jesus Christ and we are made one. That is unity. That is progress. And I can't help but look at America and the forming of democracy, the, the, the writing of the established Judeo-Christian revelation in our country that proclaims that beautiful truth. And we have come so far. I just don't want to throw out everything that we've done to get to this point. But I do think we should make progressive steps in the direction of, hey, we need to recognize where we've come from, where we are, and how we can make it a better world today. Now, I think there's a really good historical parallel that we should examine because it's it's very um, pertinent to the church, but also pertinent to the time. And that's the iconoclastic uh, controversy that happened in the 8th and 9th centuries in the Byzantine Empire. Uh, we had a whole ecumenical council. The 7th Ecumenical Council of Nicaea was around this whole issue. And I think what's really instructive is what happened in a, in a broad sense. So there was a new Roman emperor. Uh, well, Byzantine emperor, but Eastern Roman emperor, Leo the Isaurian, Leo III the Isaurian. And this was right around the time of the rise of Islam. And Islam is pushing on the borders of Byzantium, right? And 
kind of as an appeasement, as a political move, Leo starts talking to one of the, the sultans or, or whomever of the, of the Islamic leaders and kind of almost as a, as a nod, as kind of like, hey, we're, we're cool, right? We don't need to fight a war. He started um, putting pressure on what was already a bit of a movement to remove icons and statues from the churches. And he used it as a political tool to make an alliance with somebody else, not his people. And then he started tearing these things down and the people were like, why are you tearing down our statues? There was a huge riots. There was massive division. There was one bishop against another, one priest against another, depending on what side they would take. And this was all because there was two varying, there was, you know, the Byzantines and the, the Muslims. And this is kind of like a little political maneuver, but it has real impact on the people who look at these images. Uh, like the whole thing kicked off. There was a statue, I'm sorry, like a, like an icon of Jesus on the main gates going into Constantinople. And that was like the first one torn down. It started riots. I mean, it got so bad that we had to have an ecumenical council to say that absolutely statues and iconography have a place in the church. And it's not too dissimilar what's going on right now. Statues are being politicized by people who have power and people who are in the masses are being manipulated to take one side or the other. And it's dividing people. I mean, but it's yeah. very relevant and pertinent and parallel to what happened during that time period. Yeah. The, for the offended, God wants healing, right? He wants to heal a broken heart. Uh, he, he wants forgiveness, right? Because that's part of the pathway to, to healing a broken heart, right? Mm -hmm. And then in this particular case, there, there are actions that can be taken by, you know, police and different organizations or people reasonable actions that can be taken but what's going on right now is that it's you've got to be on one side or the other like it's like what what about the side of reconciliation how about the side of you know hugging as brothers and getting through this traumatic experience together if if you are so traumatized because like i said i have not met a traumatized uh black friend yet nobody's none of my black friends have called me up and said hey I got a real problem with this thing, you know, can we talk, right? So this is the opposite, right? It's division and in conquest, right? That's what's going on. It's, it's dividing. But, but, but and, we can't speak for everybody who's at, you know, tearing a statue down. There might be someone who's looking at this statue and said, this thing needs to come down because it symbolizes yeah. everything that I feel and know that has oppressed me. You can't just discount that out of hand. Right. Because everyone has individual thoughts. I mean, just because you haven't heard it doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. Doesn't mean no, no, no. A, a black guy just sees a, a statue of, of, you know, General Forrest and does said this thing needs to come down. Like, that doesn't mean that's the case. But no. what do you, what are we supposed to make when they're starting taking down statues of Ulysses Grant? I mean, he led the forces to defeat yeah. the Confederate army. Why are they taking his statue down? And if and if statues were so important they were preserving our history wouldn't people look in that statue and go oh wait a second this guy was fighting on our side we shouldn't take it down so there's something that's what makes me that feel that's what makes me feel like there's other political movements at work not just in the black lives you know matter movement or or you know racial divide or anything like that i just think that you know when it comes down to it you see so many different uh institutions and and even businesses that are being pressured to the point of fracturing and destruction. And that's what's so concerning for me because there is something behind that, that none of us know exactly what is, what is moving this and motivating this. But I think it comes down to the very fracturing of our democracy. I feel like it's the fracturing of the institutions of freedom of worship and you know and education just, too and education like, as well i mean there, there's so many things that are have been compromised yeah. in and in these past you know 30 years or so and it is it's very very alarming and we need people to actually uncover the truth get the truth out there and find ways to move through mercy to renewing our commitment to one another as brothers and sisters as americans and we need to forge a, a community of, of strength right now, not a, a community of division, because this could go on and repeat itself and repeat itself to the point where we're completely broken. And then we sit there. How did we how did we get here? We're and, on the and, path to a civil war in this country, boys. Mm -hmm. I just I I definitely think that if things don't dramatically change, 
within 50, 20 to 50 years, this country will have something akin to a civil war. I don't know what that looks like in the 21st century America, and everyone thinks it can't happen here, but it can, and it's trending that way because it is so vociferously divided, and there is no commonality and no ground to give between the two sides. And, and it's just like, it's, it's, like it's, what it's is alarming. the two sides, though? Like, that, that's the thing. Like, what is the two sides? I don't even know what, what those are sides? sides are. Like, I, I really, really don't. For me, like, I, I fight for Holy Mother Church. When I receive the word of God over these past couple of weeks, it has helped my heart settle and to have some type of clarity as to, okay, where are we going from here? And to have the confidence that though the devil may try, in his greatest effort to divide us yeah. in the sense of, of what it says in the scriptures, the devil prowls about looking for look prowling about like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Well, that's how a lion hunts. It hunts its prey and it isolates them and it separates them. It divides them. And then it, it then the life of, of the prey is compromised. Well, that's what's happening. So, you know, I feel united mystically to the body of Christ when I'm, when I'm listening to the scriptures and I'm going to mass every day and I'm opening up the word of God. And it's saying to me like, hey, there's going to be a path through this. There is going to be a narrow gate. And the darkness of, of what we're currently facing is entirely alarming. But I want to fight for the good. I want to fight for virtue. I want to fight for unity, for mercy. For, for an established community of many nations that embraced the message of Jesus Christ. Like, that's what I want to fight for. And that's what yeah, I want to live for. There's no Greek or Jew or Gentile or pagan or whatever in Christ. We're all one and all brothers. Um, I agree with that. So what do you guys think about this? Uh, there's a pretty, pretty famous uh, Black Lives Matter supporter which, by the way, I have no problem saying Black Lives Matter because they absolutely do. But when you look at the movement that has taken that name, I have no idea what the actual platform is. So it's hard to say that as a movement or as a political construct, I could support that because I don't know enough about it because it's obscure. But to say Black Lives Matter, absolutely. I'm 100 because they do, right? But there's this one, uh, Sean King. He said that all depictions of white European Jesus should be taken down. What are you guys' thoughts on that? That's pretty startling. That's pretty White alarming. European Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ignorant, I think. It doesn't really reflect, you know, the tradition of the church, which is... Well, he says it's a symbol of white, uh, white supremacy to depict Jesus in a European sense, and that all depictions I, of white Mary and white Jesus should be taken down, stained glass windows, and statues. I wouldn't even give him the benefit of responding to that. Like that, I mean, just, just the whole premise premise of that is just completely, utterly ignorant and false. I would probably explain some things to him, how Mary has visited, you know, multi, uh, cultural, you know, Look at the Toma and appeared like them. Yeah. You know, and look at um, how we're consecrated to our lady of Guadalupe in the Americas. And right, I, and I know we've had many conversations of how devoted that we are to the Blessed Virgin Mary under that revelation, and our our work is consecrated to her. But that's right. that's Mexican culture. That's Mexican well, revelation. It's and Indian, yeah, when, yeah. When it comes to when it comes to historical evangelization, you know, the depiction of Jesus Christ and the Blessed Virgin Mary and the mystery of the Holy Family has been absolutely driven into every single culture into the east into the west look at look at the revelations in china and japan and the depictions of the holy family look that up google it yeah awesome they're, they're yeah, yeah. beautiful go to go to the national shrine in washington dc and see all of these beautiful depictions of images and and sacred art and statues. is that the national shrines underneath yeah it's in yeah. the it's yeah, the it's national under, chapels yeah yeah under the national chapels you know, the beauty, again, is that Jesus has been commissioned out through the apostles and that beautiful message and the mystery of the practice of our faith that brings Jesus Christ present to us in bodily form, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist is being celebrated in every single nation. And that is our only hope of actually coming together. And that is the models of evangelization shown through art and depictions of imagery and we're going to throw that out? 
you know, we're going to throw it's out. So, it's so stupid. It's such a hot take. And this is a guy, again, who's monetizing division right. to get clicks and get his name out there. But I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with a Jesus that looks Italian. I don't have a problem with a Jesus that looks Korean. I don't have a problem with a picture of Mary dressed in traditional African clothes with black skin. Because you actually know Jesus, right? right? You actually know the person, the God. You, you know, I mean, it's if you if you have encountered him, and experience mercy and experience his grace and everything, then a picture ain't going to make you mad at something. It's not, you know, there's a beautiful lady that lives actually in my community and she invited me over her house in, at Christmas and she had nativity scenes from all over the world. And I'm talking about like hundreds of nativity cool. scenes and she, she places them all throughout her house and then she has an open house and she shares of her travels throughout her life. She's done all this beautiful work in, in nonprofits and, and going to visit poor countries and it, an absolute inspiration. But what in, has inspired her to live a life like that was Jesus Christ. And wherever she went, she got a depiction of the nativity. And you better believe that they are cultural depictions. She actually gave me one from Kenya that I have at the, at the house. And it's, it's beautiful. All of the members of that revelation are African you know, in that, in that sense, Th that is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. But then you also have people who bristle like Jesus wasn't black. Jesus wasn't Korean. Dude, you're missing the point. You're mm -hmm. missing the point. This is a culture expressing and using imagery to teach messages about the gospel. Jesus had historical skin that was whipped by the Romans, historical skin. It was Middle Eastern skin, right? It was typical of the people of the Levant at that time, Jewish Semitic people. But doesn't that that but that skin was whipped for every type of skin that would come after and before. The skin doesn't matter. It's what happened to the skin that matter, right? That's what's important. So the whole idea of saying that one depiction of Jesus is a, a tool of oppression is absolutely absurd. And I categorically reject, frankly, this idiot's recommendation that statues of white Jesus and Mary should be taken down. Because uh, it's, it's, again, it's just, a, un, it's an uninformed and unenlightened way of looking at Catholic sacred art. And when you look at the children of Israel and the 12 tribes, and you see the, the historical roots of Judaism, being expressed in different tones of, of skin color from the Ethiopian Jews all the way up to, you know, more lighter skin Jews. I mean, come on. I mean, we even see it in, in every type of community, the Italians, right? So the Northern Italians are lighter skin. My grandfather was very, very dark skin. You know, Delacrosse has, has darker skin than I. We were, we were, we were prepping the shot today and he's like, do I look too dark? Let me work with it. You know? So, I mean, and, and in the black community too, you have lighter skinned black people. You have, you have uh, darker skinned black people. You know, one of my best friends from Nigeria is very dark skin. You know, like it's, we have different pigmentations and we have different cultures and we should appreciate each other's cultures. I love entering into another person's culture. I learned so much. I've been so privileged to travel throughout the world and travel throughout all these different locations and experience how they practice their faith, how they live their lives. When I was in India, all of these different uh, people that I met and, and hung out with from Muslim to Christian to Hindu to Hare Krishna and, and all of these different people who are from the darkest colored skin all the way to the lightest, you know, in the heart of Christ is no prejudice. And, and he even said it to, you know, um, where he saw Philip under the fig tree, drawing from the heart of that Israelite in whom there was no guile, there was no prejudice. He was quite easily able, and these are the words of St. John Paul II, to see Jesus Christ as the Son of God, because in his heart there was no prejudice, right? We need to see Jesus right now. Mm -hmm. We need to encounter him as, as a people, and we need to allow what he accomplishes, the unity of the tribes of man, the unity of those 12 tribes represented in the 12 apostles who went out to every single nation and have accomplished evangelization. And it is in the remnants of our bloodline today. It has to be revived. And that's my prayer that we can revive our true faith and turn from the politics of today. That's what's been so upsetting to me as a, as a young priest is to see even bishops participating in the politics. Yeah. It's shocking to me. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's the whole controversy, you know, particularly among the the Twitter Catholic crowd, uh, you know, as I call them, uh, of calling out the bishops and the bishops responding. I mean, there is Taylor Marshall and Bishop Barron basically just, you know, beefing on Twitter. I mean, Bishop Barron blocks him. Taylor Marshall goes, makes a video saying he's blocked by Bishop Barron and saying the bishops aren't doing enough. And the bishops put out a letter saying it's on the, you know, on the lay people to do it. I mean, I mean, it's political again. Peddling even, division. Even, it's peddling, even in that. It's peddling division. It's peddling. That's a, it's not that's even a, like. It's not even in force. It's just all you're doing is you're just stimulating the unrest in people's hearts, mm-hmm. right. giving them something for that to attach to. You're not bringing them to prayer. You're not bringing them to peace. It, there is no greater good in bragging about Bishop Barron not following you or whatever mm-hmm. i don't even do twitter but it's just like if if, if you're not helping somebody move into union with god then you're like you know and i can't say that I, he, he didn't attempt to do that in his video taylor marshall doesn't attempt to do that because i'm sure he does in his own way but even choosing that as a topic is almost like a badge of honor that i was blocked by this bishop right yeah. well he he issued a pretty solid statement bishop Barron, but it was also i bet you he wishes he can maybe have taken it back a little bit like mm-hmm. well that's on the people but well, it's on the people but it's maybe bad optics you know bishop Barron maybe has the tendency to be too good of a apologist and it makes sense because he uses logic and it's like this is a logical letter but people aren't logical and they see it and they're like what do you mean it's on the people well he gave good accurate reasons and then then yeah. all these people are freaking out. Oh, the bishops are abandoning us. Well, are they, we, aren't they? I don't know where they've the been. People. It's yeah. we, the people. And I, and I can't imagine Bishop Barron not recognizing his involvement in we, the people. Right. You know, we are a people and we need to be proactive and we, we can't enter into the political, you know, divisive arena of saying this person's to blame, that person's to blame. We've got to empathize with the bishops too. Right. You know, we've got to with with politicians we got to empathize with police chiefs who have to manage these underpaid police officers and the stress life the stressful life that they have to encounter every day we've got to empathize with the people who've who've been you know abused by power and people misusing power and we've got to empathize with george floyd's family and the people who love him you know like we've got to empathize we've got to say all right let's take a step back we are violence will only beget violence Violence is not going to build up anything. Yeah. We, we've got to find another way. And I think conversation, dialogue, and, and looking, at, looking at the truth and looking at our progress and not just destroying everything as it relates to history and come up with, what, a space age of a new world government, of one government and, and universalized, you know, everything, uh, everything just universalize everything, like, and then just kill culture? And kill our history and kill kill the bloodline that that goes back to wherever africa europe uh middle east you know chinese china and and the and japan or like no that's not the answer you know you, what you just said there a good point like i i can't stand when people say i don't see color yes you do and you should see color and you should see if it for it's good and see it's that color and then it's beauty and say this is this is a beautiful color there's something to this this tells me something about who you are, who your ancestors are, and there's good in that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't see color as ignoring them at their, you know, a deeper understanding of them to try to say, well, I'm not racist. I don't see color. See color and love color and all colors, right? That's and important. thank God we have color. What a boring right. life if yeah. we were living in black and white. Homogenization would make it so much easier for governments if we're all one type of people with one bland you know, ancestry and one common thing, that's a really easy type of people to conquer and rule. Mm-hmm. Now, one other thing you said about bishops, Power you know, of it, it would be nice if the bishops would maybe take a little bit of some leadership saying, look, maybe organize. Look, if you know that they're going to try to tear down a, a statue of Hunapera Sarah, tweet it out and have people go and pray. Maybe organize that. That's some leadership. Mm-hmm. Go pray peacefully. And go use it as an opportunity to tell people who St. Junipero Serra was. Don't say, well, it's up to the people. Here's a nice letter that we drafted in committee. See you later. 
that right? nobody's going to read. That no one's going to read. And the people who do read it are the people who are going to get a on the know. committee. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Who's going to criticize what you say. Or no, the people who true. are looking or the people who are looking for things that come from the bishops who are like, sweet, I got topic for a new video that I can complain about and yeah. get however many clicks. So the bishops need to do more. They do organize some people to educate and to <laughs> pray in front of these statues. It's not hard. Dude, I've got this, I've got this um, parishioner. Everything that we put out, whether it's in social media or an email or anything, his immediate reaction and response is criticism. And he, he finds some type of fault, even if it's punctuation, and he just blasts us. And then, you know, I just ask him to come and help us write the stuff yeah. for us. Yeah. Right. Edit it. He doesn't want to do that. <laughs> no, some people are just Because then there's nothing to complain about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah. It's I mean, hard, but, guys, it's heartbreaking. I mean, I was, as you know, I was in San Diego where St. Juna Paracera formed his first parish, San Diego yeah. de Alcala. And Father Jaime, who's a martyr, is very- First time I ever met you, Father, which was when uh, a video call that when you were there, we were oh, talking. That's right. that was the first time we've ever met. Oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah. In the courtyard. We did that. In the courtyard. Little, and we did like a little tour around the, around the property. I remember that's that. Right. Um, but, you know, I have a deep, deep tie to that community. I have a deep tie and prayerfulness to Father Jaime and most especially St. Junipero Serra. Siempre adelante, nunca atrás was his motto always forward, never turn back. That is a beautiful motto to have today is let's not turn back. Let's keep going forward in progress and let's utilize the momentum and the energy behind where this is really coming from is greater equity, greater justice, a greater sense of, of responsibility. Like all of those are really, really good things, but we need to, we need to move forward with it. But it's, it's heartbreaking. I visited all of the 21 missions of California. I have prayed at every single altar. And I have, I have seen all of those statues that are being torn down. But people and want to change the names of them. They say that's the remnants and the architecture of a, of a racist imperial system by the Spanish on the natives. Well, that is a very, very um, <laughs> basic look at it. It's, it sounds good on TV. It sounds good to justify anger. But that is... That lacks all the nuance. That is, that doesn't take into account that some that Saint Junipero Serra was fighting for the rights of the natives yes. of, of the of the Native American community living there. And the Spanish—that's what king, made him a saint. Exactly, right. the Spanish king was fighting for that. Right. You know, but but we don't know the 16th and 17th, 18th century world, the sits in Laban as like the, the situation, what they were facing. We, we need to study it. We're immediately hearing a soundbite from some person who makes a heck of a lot more money than all of us together, who's just putting it out there. This is what this is what happened. This was an right. oppressive group. <laughs> Read the history books, but then we get all emotional about it and we want to do something about it. I mean, we aren't even looking at history and actually you, uncovering, oh, wow, I didn't know the Spanish king fought for the rights of the natives. Right. I didn't know the bishops fought for the rights of the natives. I didn't realize that the priests stood up to the soldiers and, and said, hey, you shouldn't be doing X, Y, Z and giving them harsh penances and trying to cultivate a transformation of their heart. Man is brutal. See, Man the ironic thing. Brutal. The ironic thing is St. Junipero Serra would probably see someone tearing down a statue and be like, brothers, I get it. You guys are being, let's go talk to these people. I'll walk with you and I'll go talk to these people who, who are giving oppression on you. Because that's who he was. That's why he's a saint. That's why he has a statue. But no one wants nuance. People just want to express anger, get a nice shot of it for Instagram and say, I'm making a difference. Yeah. Lord, yeah, so Lord have mercy. Control, you can that's control so uneducated people. Mm -hmm. A lot better than you, you can control educated people because educated people are going to be. Um, a lot you, of these are very educated people, but they've, they've received biased education or unnuanced education. There's mm -hmm. a lot of really smart, really educated people, and they're being trained by liberal colleges, man. I mean, mm -hmm. liberal colleges kind of are a hotbed for this stuff. Where do you think this stuff comes from in the young people? From yeah. college professors who have tenure, who believe their own story because they have to have a thesis, and their unique thesis is that – Junipero Serra's created up a 21 point system of dominance. Like now you're just defending your thesis for the rest of your life and putting it in the minds of young kids. And that's a dangerous thing to do with. That's an irresponsible thing to do.
I can see this contextualized in my own life as well. I mean, just recently, Sheila, you hosted the video of me with the Vatican flag, you know, flying around in the back of the truck. And we were having a beautiful day. It was it was a lot of fun. And, and um, you know, it got hosted by a pretty large community, Florida memes. And I think your tagline was like, if a priest was Florida man or something like that. I forget something like that, yeah. If Florida and man was a priest. If, that's what it was. If Florida man was a priest. Which is and, accurate. <laughs> so, you know, I... I, I saw that somebody sent it to me. They're like, oh, yo, Father Rich, you were on such and such. And they sent me the link. So I looked at it and there were all of these comments and it was like, you know, you're a racist, you're an oppressionist, you're, you know, a pedophile, you're, you groom uh, little boys and all this other stuff. And it's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't. Like, I, I do not. I'm, Look, I'm I just not shared it because it's funny because like, it's Father Rich cruising around in the truck with a Vatican flag. There's nothing <laughs> no, more to it. it was with muck boots on, you know, like camouflage muck boots. Right. Like, that's literally all it was, right? And it was, <sighs> it was to thank the lady who bought me the muck boots because when I was working in the field, my boots got destroyed and she sent me new boots, right? That's all, literally, that's all it was. See, these are the twists and turns of history, man. Exactly. Now I'm being named that. So how many people viewed that and said, yep, he's a racist. Yep, he's a, he's a papist. Yep, he's an oppressionist. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I love people, man. I go out and I love people to the best of my ability. And especially people who are, you know, in, in my path. You know, I, I, I have never had a racist or a, a, um, a feeling of, you know, oppressing a certain group of people ever in my life, right. ever, you know, even, you know, even my opponents on basketball, like I would always say, Oh, you'll good, good shot. You know, I, I would, I would, and I, some of my brothers would give me a hard time or, or my coach, like, don't do that. But I mean, that's, that's the person I always, I've always been. Yeah. I heard something really interesting that kind of maybe changed my mind on something that I've always been like, I wouldn't really even consider as white privilege, right? Oh, white privilege. Oh, that's because you have white privilege. And then the thought is, is that white privilege doesn't mean that white people don't have a hard time. It just means that the color of their skin doesn't make it harder, right? But the color of a black guy's skin will, the same person with the same qualification from the same background, a black person will have a harder time. If you have a black sounding name, you're 50% less likely to get a call back on a job interview. That makes life difficult. If your name is Jim Smith or if your name is Denante Smith, you're going to have a less of an opportunity to get a job. There is some real privilege. There is some real things to consider. They are not all wrong. The people who are angry have legitimate reasons for being angry, but we you need know to find a a more constructive way. I completely agree, Sheila. We do need to find a more constructive and productive way. And you, you just reminded me of, and I've mentioned his name before. He's one of the most brilliant people I know, Father Peter Akinotiko. He's from Nigeria. He's our judicial vicar. Awesome. The guy is just he's awesome good. guy. You've met him. Yeah. You've met him, Ryan. Um, and I hope to introduce him to you, Sheila, when you come to come to the diocese. But, um, you know, he told me a story of when he was in, in Canada and he was studying for his PhD. And he went into this barbershop and it was the last time he went in to, to get his hair cut. And, you know, before he started cutting his own hair and the person said to him that, you know, they don't cut black people's hair. And he felt so hurt by that to the point where, you know, like he was kind of run out of this, this barbershop. Um, and I mean, like, that's, that's just crushing. Like that's today. You know, like that, that, yeah. that happens in certain pockets. It doesn't mean that it's systemic racism. It doesn't mean that that's generally speaking, you know, what's happening all throughout the world. But I know that he's experienced because of the color of his skin as a Nigerian man. I know for a fact he's experienced a, a complete generalization of who he is and people just writing him off because of that, you know? Things that, that you as a white priest haven't experienced. And I haven't experienced it like right. that. Right. It's legitimate that there is some real, I mean, look, there is some real privilege to being a white guy or mm -hmm. particularly a white guy or a white person in general. And it's yeah. not that it means that your life is easy. A lot of people have hard lives. If you're white, it doesn't matter. It just means that your skin doesn't make it harder. And, and to me, that realization was like, that's a really profound statement. And it really, I think matters. And it's very truthful. It is. And, and it gave me a lot of perspective on um, just the concept of what they're feeling, you know? Yeah.
Yeah, it's a complex thing. You know, it's 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 not uh all right, I'm black and you know, and I we've been oppressed and you give me what I want. That's not the answer. The that's, answer that's, is that's what they're even asking for. It's oh. social, it's economical. Uh there are um there are time periods where even after slavery, the, the black communities have been, you know, targeted, terrorized, by, literally, by literally. Terrorized. Yeah. In order to, in order to generate, I mean, there's, there's a lot there and it's more, way more than just black and, and white, right. It's, it's heavily political, heavily social, social, heavily mm-hmm. economical, um, and then obviously look at plan, look at Planned Parenthood, the way that they target the black community. Yeah. And market absolutely. To them. Yeah. I mean, the, the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Singer was a eugenist who thought specifically she didn't want black people and Jews to right. populate. Correct. Hey, why are we not offended by that? Uh, her statues down. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I, I, I had this, this memory that just came to me, um, of, you know, a kid that I grew up with since second grade and we played ball together and one of my closest friends and I hadn't seen him for a while because I was in California. And then I came back and I was going to bring a birth, a birthday gift to uh, a family member. And I asked Ryan to help me out. So Ryan hopped in the, in the truck and we put the big, you know, the, the gift in the back of the truck and we brought it over. And, um, you know, he, for a minute there, it was like, it was, it was great. Like we were talking, I had some family members there and this person that wasn't related to me, um, gave him a look. And like, all of a sudden I saw him and I didn't see the look, but he, he shifted and he said, Richie, I'll meet you in the truck. I'm like, all right, but I just figured he had to make a phone call. But you know, it was this, and I got back in the truck. I'm like, yo, what happened, man? And he's like, well, so-and-so, you know, just kind of looked at me and I just felt you know, unwelcome. So I just, I hopped in the, I hopped in the truck and it just, it broke my heart because, you know, it's like, we he need to have a transformation look. of heart. And that, he knows that look. He oh, he knows that look. And he responds to that look and it, and it holds him back, you know? And, and that's the, that's the unfortunate thing. Look, yeah. I, I know, I know the mentality of, you know, the people that grew up in the twenties, thirties and forties. I remember, you know, how, the Italians wouldn't mix with the Irish. The the Irish and the Italian wouldn't mix with with the black community. Aren't you guys black both Italian and Irish? With, yeah, we're both Italian and Irish. Uh, there's there's some mix. Well, that's that's what started to happen. But let me tell you, when when my grandfather and my grandmother got together, it was not pretty in the family, especially yeah. in the Irish family. That's right. I mean, same. especially in the Irish family. Was and that the same for you? Delacroix? Absolutely. Grandma, uh, my mother was the first non-full Italian in her family. And that did not bode well for her, you know, marrying my dad. And, and, and then you've got my great grandfather who died at 94 uh, was a cop in New York. And I mean, like they segregated, they segregated all of the communities like there was the italian one there's the jewish ones across the street and when my dad hangs out with his friends they talk about the jews why because there was a they they didn't they don't talk about like they had they befriended each other but he says oh i was over on the jew side you know that's where he lived he moved over to the jew side you know and so that's kind of like how their structure was set up for them you know our sensibilities hearing our older generations talk that way it's like you know, ooh, like it, it just sends chills up your spine. That doesn't sound right. You know, I was with my, I was with my grandmother and, and she was an older woman. She was raised by a very, very staunch Irish family. Her progressive step to marry an Italian person was not received well. We were sitting at the dinner table. I think I was in like fourth or fifth grade. And, and she said that people of color have a lesser intelligence. Literally what she said. And I said, Nanny, that is not true. I said, my best friend, Ryan Jefferson, has all A's. I've got C's, I've got D's, I've got B's. He is way smarter than me. You know, and I got all upset and I got, and then I, I went silent, you know? And, but I saw my grandmother progress. I saw my grandmother, how she started interacting with Troy and Ryan and, and Kendall and all these other guys that would come over the house and we'd play football in the street in front of the house. 
you know, she grew. But it's like we have to see that from late 19th century to the early 20th century to see all of these, this immigrant land be populated by the Germans, the Polish, the Jewish, the Italians, the Irish, the African-Americans, the, all of these different cultures, the, the Middle Eastern cultures. This is what is beautiful about America. And yeah. we have come so far. We've come so far. And we yeah. can't throw that out. Yeah, this yeah. is this is maybe hopefully just another growing pain and not something that I hope so. indicates something more deeply divided long term. But I uh, hope so. yeah. you know, it's 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 hard out there, but you know, I like the bishop said, uh the, the California bishop said, like if you judge Hunapara Sarah by today's standards, or if you judged any historical person by today's standards, there would be no statues of anybody. Correct. That's not what these statues are for. They're saying that this was a momentous point in a history and time and a place. If you judge Abraham Lincoln by today's standards, he's a monster. Please, His views please, on African-American people is monstrous. But he also fought the war to free them. Mm -hmm. And now he's at the Lincoln Memorial. But if you judge him by today's standards, go, go debate Lincoln in a liberal college's um, philosophy de department or history department. Good luck. He's a war criminal or everything, right? But he's on our money. He's, got, he's this great man. You can't judge people by historical standards of today. Please continue repeating that. Please continue posting that because that is so absolutely true. You know, we cannot judge a previous generation and the philosophy they had in that day and condemn it. Yeah. Well, yes, it's we a stepping yes, we stone. We it's can. a stepping stone to where we are today. We have come so far. Stepping stones is everything on the path. And I think St. Hunaparasara, like you said, he would care less if his statues were being torn down. They're statues. They're statues. And he would, but he, he, would, he would go out there and he would stand with the people and say, let me listen to your pain, because he was a pastor. Yeah. Let me hear your suffering. Let me pair that to the cross of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you the truest statement that I know and what I live by. Siempre adelante, nunca atrás. Let's move forward. Let's not turn back. That's what we need today. And I'm glad that his statues are being turned down so we can actually get to know who he is. Right. Learn right. who he is. God works in mysterious ways. He does. More of his statues that get torn down, maybe there'll be an honest uh, debate around his life. Uh, now, I do know one thing. And before I go, I think this is a really important statement I have to make that if I ever saw a statue of Father Rich Pagano, I would probably tear that down. Uh, I'd probably uh, deface it too. I, I would I mean, too. I probably... Deface, I mean, <laughs> if it's a lifelike thing, defacing is not the issue. <laughs> Gosh. Your statue, I would, yeah, I'd put it in the back of the pickup truck and pull that thing down. <laughs> I'd help then, you, buddy. I'd help yeah, you. I know. It's been a good episode, you guys. No, this is this has been good, and hopefully, Important you know, stuff as, and as you sit there and you participate in this show, and you've been listening in, and hopefully, you've been commenting along the way. Those who have participated in the premiere, but especially in our comment feeds on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, please keep it charitable. Please keep it constructive, and let's really, actually, and and before you know, you, you know, there's so many people that may watch a promo or see Catholic talk show and then immediately troll and start blasting us on our comment section. Actually, watch the show. Watch the show, participate constructively. And, you know, there may be uh, abrogations of history that you've been subjected to that you have a complete misunderstanding of, of what occurred in history. And you're basing your actions and your feelings on the current momentum of an emotional movement that ultimately is dividing the fabric of our democracy and democracy, as well as the fabric of what Jesus accomplishes, which is way more important, which is a unity of heart. So we want to thank our sponsors. We want to thank our friends and our supporters. We want to thank our patrons. If you are considering to support our show so that content like this and so much more may continue far into the future, please consider becoming a financial supporter by going to patreon.com forward slash the Catholic talk show. There you'll be able to see every way that you could support us and we'll shoot out some memorabilia to you. But the most important thing from our hearts to yours is let us be members of Christ that goes out to heal and unify and offer the peace that comes from the kingdom to those who feel divided, those who feel disenfranchised, 
and those who have been segregated. Today, let the future begin, and let the future begin with the optimism and hope that God is with us, and God is for us, and he is uniting each of our hearts to a greater sense of appreciation of each other's culture, skin tone, and most especially, each other's gifts. Because when our gifts come together, the universe is out there. And let's absolutely explore it in the spirit of the gifts that God has given us. God bless. Mm.